glimpse of the journey that you've been on and what's kind of led you to this point. And then we want to pray for you, pray for our church, and, uh, and then we'll be on with the service, okay? Awesome, awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, like you said, my name's Pete, and this is Dad Benson. Um, we have two little children that are currently back there hanging out with everybody. And, and we had just been here, um, got to meet Pastor Ben through a mutual pastor friend of ours. Um, and um, we just got to connect with them, and, and we're just excited about what you guys are doing here. Um, God has really put a burden on our hearts to work with teens and young adults and, and just be able to, to live life with them, break bread with them, have a good time. And, and that's just really what God has put on our hearts. And, and we, we're excited about the vision that's here and, and what God's doing, the hand of God that's here. We sense his presence. We see Amen. his moving and just see great things for Gateway Church. So we're so excited to just be a part of this um, this morning and just getting to know everybody. So I hope that I get to a chance to meet every one of you and just God bless you guys and bless Pastor Ben and, and the whole Gateway community. Amen. Cool. Uh, Pete and Deb, they are from Lansing, so they're not too far, an hour and a half away. And uh, Pete is a roofer. He owns his own company. And I've, I've been asking him, saying, are you sure that you want to leave uh, you know, all the luxuries of owning your own business and uh, <laughs> come and serve the Lord full time? He's, and he's like, absolutely. They're ready ready to sacrifice. And it's, it's cool. And it's been fun to get to know them. And uh, we've, uh, several of you were with us yesterday and uh, last night, and uh, it was fun. And we want to pray for you. And just that God would just continue to uh, put his hand on your life and uh, that uh, just the, the right opportunities uh, continue just to open up as we believe the Lord can do. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Would you stretch your hand toward Pete and Deb? And let's pray for God's continued blessing on their lives. Lord, I pray this morning for our friends Pete and Debbie. Lord, I pray that you would just put a hedge of protection around them. Lord, that you would just continue to lead and guide them for your name's sake. Lord, I pray that the, the passion that you have put in their heart to serve you wholeheartedly, Lord, I pray that you would confirm that in their spirit, and Lord, that you would just continue to open up the doors, and Lord, that they would walk through with confidence, knowing that you are in control. And God, I pray for favor to be upon everything that they touch. Lord, that how you've blessed them in their business over the past several years, and even recently, God, I pray that that favor would just translate into ministry as well, that souls will be saved because of their sacrifice and their investment into the kingdom. And God, I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would just, God, give them just grace and mercy. Cover them, God. And Lord, go before them, behind them, and all around them. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. We're excited for you guys, and, uh, and we're, uh, that's about all we can say at this point. All right? <laughs> well, let's do this. Why don't we stand, and why don't we turn and greet someone, find someone, and take the chance to come and meet uh, Pete and Debbie, and shake their hands, give them a hug. They're, they'll uh, love to do that. And let's just take the moment to do that, and uh, then we'll be back with a couple announcements and into God's Word. Amen? All right.
Praise the Lord. All right, you can return to your seats. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, we got a couple announcements, and I have just misplaced my bulletin. I don't know. Is it where? I don't know. Anyway, there's some important things in the bulletin. <laughs> You'll want to make sure. Here it is. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> and uh, really, just a couple things. The most important thing we want to highlight is that today, tonight at 4 o'clock, we are going to be meeting as a church body out at North Beach. And uh, there's a shelter there. And uh, we would love for you to come and just throw some meat on the grill and just hang out, have a good time. The weather is looking beautiful, unlike last year. So we're excited about that. And, uh, and we want you to come out. We call it Sunday Night Live, just an opportunity to be together. We know that it's, more, it's so important to be together more than just Sunday mornings, just to sit next to each other, but really to get to know each other. We need to spend time together, and so we want to encourage you in that. Uh, one other quick thing is that if you're interested in serving with Unity, with a Christian music festival here in town uh, that's coming in a few weeks, uh, today is really the last opportunity for you to sign up. We need your t-shirt size, and we are, we've uh, volunteered as a church to participate. You can get in free, work a session, and then enjoy the concert or get in, enjoy the concerts, and then work a session. It's a pretty cool deal. And so if you're interested in doing that with us this summer, uh, we need you to sign up today. And then the last thing, uh, we've got a blood drive this week, and uh, we would love for you to stop in on Thursday and uh, give some blood, and that would be great. And then if you are visiting today, any first-time guests never been to the Gateway Church? I know there's one back here, Jonathan. I've met you before. Uh, missionary to Argentina, right? Well, you just, I said Argentina, and then I lost your, yeah, uh, him and his wife, and uh, friends of Josh and uh, Jennifer's, and uh, good friends of ours, and that's kind of fun. So welcome, and uh, enjoy uh, this next week in paradise. <laughs> They're vacationing here this week, and that's kind of fun. We get to live here, isn't that great? But any, any other first-time guests? I'm, I was just kind of uh, searching across, looking, and, and uh, we got some others that are back for the first time. We do have one. All right, over here, yeah. All right, well, welcome. Let's get her an information card. She can fill that out, and that'll help us uh, follow up with her. All right, let's give her a hand, all right? Amen. Hey, thanks, Jeff. And uh, ushers, why don't you prepare yourselves? We're going to receive an offering this morning, and uh, we want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Man, God has been so good. We, uh, I'm not sure if I shared this last week or not, but we finished the uh, half of the year uh, through June 31st or June 30th, I guess, uh, not 31st, but uh, we are, we're killing it. You guys are doing a great job giving, and we are thankful for that. And what it's doing, it's providing opportunity for God to continue to let us grow, continue to expand. And so as you're faithful, we're going to be faithful with those dollars, and we're going to just continue to see God do amazing things. Amen? And, uh, and so thank you, and we're just going to pray. Um, let's see. Would you pray for our offering this morning, John? Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give.
proclaim God's name and we sing and we worship, uh, it's just great to know that God, he helps us with whatever we are facing. This morning, we're going to continue a series that we've been in over the last couple weeks, and really, it's a summer series on spiritual warfare. And uh, we've been looking primarily at Ephesians chapter 6, and I've given a reading assignment, and I'm almost uh, afraid to ask how many of you are fulfilling that assignment to read the book of Ephesians this summer. we got some hands up. If you, you don't have to put your hands up unless you're honest. Don't be fibbing this morning. But I encourage you to read the entire book of Ephesians. It really puts into context with the end of Ephesians that we're focusing on. And as we've been going through this, we've been learning uh, that in life, there, it's not just what we see naturally, but there are spiritual things happening around us. There's a spirit world around us. We've also identified over the last couple weeks that there is a devil, that we are in a fight, we are in a war. And I was thinking about it. When I was growing up, there was a song, and I looked it up, and uh, I thought it was going to be like a theme verse for our spiritual warfare. Um, The old Petra song, this means war. You guys, anybody remember that? But I looked it up, and I'm like, that's probably not really that great. (laughs) But the fact is, we got to come to grips with who the devil is, and so we can understand that. And the fact is, I think that when we think about war, we kind of glamorize it. We see it in movies or on TV, or we read about it in books or things like that. And until it uh, affects you personally, unless there's a casualty maybe in your family or with someone close in your your, uh, world of influence, it's like, okay, that's war. But... When it hits close home, it's like, oh man, this is real. And the same is true with spiritual warfare. People think, oh, it's great to talk about spiritual warfare at conferences or movies or in a movie or a lecture or you, know, you read a book about it or, or preach about it. But when it comes to personally, you're saying, I don't know. Uh, you know. Is it real? Is it something I really have to deal with? Well, I want to say this morning, spiritual warfare is real. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I, I quoted uh, a, a pastor from Springfield, Missouri. He says this. He says, Satan is the most awesome, fearsome creature 
of God, or create one of, I'm sorry, Satan is the most awesome, fearsome creation of God, and don't forget it. And I don't say that to like scare us. We don't have to be afraid. We can have confidence when we understand that we're in a war and God helps us. We need to be strengthened in his power. The truth is many believers suffer needlessly, and uh, there's no need for any Christian to suffer at the hands of Satan. We can win. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are are able to stand firm, and we can use godly weapons, and God helps us. And in Ephesians 6, we look at five defensive pieces and one offensive piece, and we're kind of working our way through this through this. And I just want you to know that we are protected. I say that. We are protected. We are protected because of who Jesus is and what he provides for us. Now, last week we talked about uh, the, the fact that we need to be ready for warfare, to put on the armor of God with urgency, and we cannot win something that we're not ready for. And the piece of armor that helps us, as de- it's a defensive piece, but it also creates op- offensive opportunities, is the belt of truth. And uh, we talked about that in the armor, and I got a picture of this uh, this last week. I meant to have this last week, that we are to be prepared. In the, in the belt, it, it kind of holds up the loins or the, the, the dress that a Roman soldier would have worn. And it kind of brings it up, holds stuff in, and it allows them to advance, to attack. And what's interesting as well is it was an, an awarding thing as well. As they would serve and uh, have different feats in war, they would get medals or different, uh, different things here that they would, and uh, kind of like our military. You know, we have the stars and bars and whatever. <laughs> it's the same kind of idea. And those would have been worn to say, man, this guy is trouble or I need to you know, kind of retreat. And so the belt of truth. And what we talked about specifically last week is that the belt of truth is, is important for us to understand seeing the devil's schemes for what they are. And spiritual readiness is all about facing the truth. Spiritual readiness is about facing the truth. And so as believers, we need to understand the areas in our lives where we are vulnerable, where we have weaknesses, and we need to work upstream. We need to be painfully truthful about ourselves when it comes to um, our own lives, our character flaws, our struggles, our weaknesses. And when we are, we can face the truth. That sets us up to win spiritually. And then not only did we need to look personally at these words, but then also we needed to look at those around us. We needed to be involved in our kids' lives. We need to understand. We need to know them. Otherwise, we're going to lose them. And so we need to get involved with our kids and know their friends, know how they're spending their money, how they're, uh, what kind of music they're listening to. Because what happens is the enemy, he's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for my life. He's got a plan for your kids. And he would love for us to be unaware to be unprepared, to be lazy, to wear us out, and you love to fill us with fear. But we know as believers that we can stand strong, amen? We can stand strong, we can stand firm, and uh, this week we're going to look at the next piece of armor. And so I'm going to ask that you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we're going to, why don't you stand with me as we read some of these verses. It's interesting, this particular letter to the uh, Ephesians, was one of 
Paul's prison letters. And we've talked about this, that Paul, when he's writing this, most likely was bound, literally, by chains to a Roman soldier, connected to him. And he's looking over, and he's writing these final words in Ephesians, and he's relating spiritual battle to the actual just warfare that a Roman soldier would have encountered. The other thing that's interesting, we'll see in the message here, is that he is probably quoting from Isaiah chapter 59, and we'll get there, but uh, Paul, it was on his heart. He had studied Isaiah 59, where it talked about um, a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation, and he's reflecting on some of these truths in, in Isaiah, and he's saying, you know what? We need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And again, there's an urgency in these verses to put it on, put it on now. And it says... That so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And again, that was a, a readiness, that we need to be ready to face the truth in our lives. And then the second part of that verse says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Lord, I pray that as we look at these verses, as we look specifically at the breastplate of righteousness, God, that you would illuminate your scripture to us, that you would help us to understand and give us the strength to face the things that are before us. Lord, help us, God, truly to understand your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd use me uh, in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. Breastplate. I got a picture of a breastplate here, and this is kind of the best one we could find. But um, that it, it, was ro- it was worn by Roman soldiers to cover the front of their torso, from their neck to their waist. Without the breastplate, a soldier could take an arrow to the heart and be killed instantly. Or a sword could go through the stomach and hit all kinds of vital organs. It was a critical piece of equipment. It was mandatory armor for uh, a soldier going into battle. And what it did, it protected the heart primarily. They would call it the heart plate or the, the uh, heart protector. And what was so important is that they could get hit in different areas and live. But if they got hit in the heart, how many know it's going to be hard to live? Well, David talks a little bit about this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And I want you to turn there with me. And David talks about protecting our heart. It's, it's interesting that, that David talks about this spiritually, and that's what Paul is doing. He's taking a, a physical breastplate, and he's relating it to some spiritual things. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he says, Above all else, guard your heart. Everyone say that, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. It's the wellspring of life. It determines the course of your life. 
And there are several components when you think about our heart from a spiritual aspect. It deals with our intellect, what we think, our thoughts. And what's interesting is that Satan would love to trick you into believing a lie about God. He would love to come into your life and say, hey, the, the, the Bible is mostly true. Or he would love for you to begin to look at yourself and to see yourself not as the image of God, but as fallen and not worthy. The second thing is, deals with our emotions, how we feel. And Satan would love for us to look inward and uh, be inward focused. He would love for us to live the way that we feel. How many know that would be incredibly dangerous if you just lived the way you felt all the time or said whatever you <laughs> felt? I mean, that we would be, it would be a disaster. The, sec- the third thing is it really deals with our will, the decisions that we make. Satan would love to influence or distract us so that we would be ineffective in our walk with the Lord. And another component, it's our affection. Our heart is our time, our energy, our pursuits. And Satan would love to knock us off of our game. But we know that we can stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. When we put it on, we know that we're covered. And so what does putting on the breastplate of righteousness look like? There's really two keys that I want to focus on this morning. And the first one is the reality of salvation. Putting on righteousness, being clothed in righteousness. We know in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, when we study Revelation there, we said that Satan was the accuser, right? He is the accuser. He wants to trick you. He wants to bring accusations against you. He wants to point out all your faults. He wants to discourage and to to defeat you. He wants us to be reminded of the condition that we are in. Now, Satan is tricky in the fact that he takes some truth, and he will lie to you. He'll, He'll bring some truth, but put a twist on it and lie. He'll say things like, you are unrighteous, which is true. Or that you could never be right with God, which is true, besides God's word. And he leaves out portions. He will twist things. And we understand that about Satan, and that's about his nature. We said last week or or two weeks ago that his native tongue is to lie. He's the father of lies. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, we see this kind of played out. It says, what shall we uh, conclude then? Verse 9 Uh, Romans uh, chapter 3. Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's nothing you could do to earn the grace of God. Our righteousness is described as filthy rags, thrown away or to be burned up. But we know that God is good. We know that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a word of the Lord for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's only because of Jesus. We know Satan is the accuser, but 1 John 2, 1 says that Jesus is our defense. We stand free because of the sinless life that Jesus lived. And I'm thankful for that, and I hope you are too. And what I want to call that this morning for our, for our purposes is positional righteousness. 
Positional righteousness. We understand that, yes, we are sinners. But positionally, when we accept Jesus into our hearts, we are righteous. It, it's it's unbelievable. And But some people would take that and abuse that. Satan would love for you to say, well, okay, well, if that's true, then you can live however you want. There's freedom to sin. Well, no, because when you look at all of Scripture, Ephesians 4, 27, says not to give the enemy even a foothold, not even the littlest bit. We need to be careful not to let that in. But positionally, as believers, if you've accepted Jesus into your life, you are clean. And so it kind of begs the question, has there been a time in your life when you have surrendered your heart to Jesus? And if you haven't, this morning is your morning. We're going to give you an opportunity to, to pray a miracle prayer at the end of the service and ask God to come in and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And every sin in your life would be covered. Now, if you haven't, or if you know people in your life that haven't, made that kind of surrender in their heart? The fact is, is that the devil will have his way with you. He is tricky. He will numb your feelings. He will blind your eyes. But God loved us enough to send us his word that says, you know what? I made one that was no sin, my son, to be sin for you. And he clothed us with righteousness. And we see that as positional righteousness. But not only is there positional righteousness, there's something also we call practical righteousness, where we put on the breastplate of righteousness is not only a position of salvation that we put Jesus on as our Savior and Lord, but putting on righteousness is really, the second part, is the reality of sanctification. And if you are not uh, around church circles all that much, sanctification is really just the process of becoming holy. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, just a couple uh, verses or a couple of chapters before Ephesians 6 where we're uh, concentrating. And I want to look at verses 22 through 24. It says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What God does is not only does he save us, and positionally he creates a, the situation where we are covered in righteousness, but he also practically wants us to become holy to become more and more like him. Now that you've been saved, you should reflect Jesus in how you live. Do you believe that? To become in practice what you are in position. If there is habitation, if Jesus is living on the inside of your life, there should be imitation. And we should be more and more like Christ to live righteously. And the great thing is, is there are benefits that come along with this. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2, it says that righteousness delivers us from death. It keeps us from being destroyed, from destructive patterns. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 11. I love Proverbs chapter 11 when it comes to uh, this uh, idea of righteousness. Look at verse 5 when it, uh, where it starts. It says, the righteousness of the blameless makes a straight way 
for them, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. If you want to know what direction in your life to go, you need to be righteous, taking strides towards righteousness, and God will help you. See, the fact is that sin will take you to places that you do not want to go. And if you're not careful, it can slip in. And all of a sudden you're saying, well, I'm not sure I love my spouse anymore. Or they say, well, if I spend my money in this way, it'll make me happy. Or if I just eat, you know, 10 Snickers bars instead of just one, I will be fulfilled. Whatever the case, I don't know. And the result is, is that there's a detour in the purposes of God. You will miss out on blessings. Your path will become crooked if you are not pursuing righteousness. Righteousness keeps us straight like a breastplate protects us. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 6, it will continue. It says, The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. God wants us to be free. He wants to deliver us. He wants to keep us from giving in to our emotions and our feelings. And what guards us against those things is righteousness. Proverbs 11, verse 18, if you fast forward to the, uh, the middle of the chapter, it says, The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. The wicked would think, the unrighteous would think that, oh, no one will know. I can get away with this or that. I can cut corners in my life. Or they would think, I don't need to trust God. I don't need to give or I don't need to be honest in certain areas of my life. But righteousness will produce a reward. When you think like the wicked, it says there that you will, uh, you will be destroyed. Verse 19, if we continue, says the truly righteous man attains life, but he who pursues evil goes to his death. Last verse here, that we were promised life, that we will live. There are blessings, wholeness, fulfillment, satisfaction, joy. There's peace. But if we pursue evil, it says we will result, our lives will result in death. Death sets in. And you may not even know it. But righteousness provides freedom and protection. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. It says this, But you, man of God, or woman of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness. We are called to be positionally righteous, and that only happens through salvation. It's nothing that we can do. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to, for God to love us anymore. But also, practically, through sanctification, we need to have practical righteousness as well. And if you choose not to live in a righteous manner, if you choose to let the world consume you in its ways, you will, first of all, be defeated personally. You'll be full of guilt and shame. And Satan's plan is that you would, you would just be down and out. You'd give up. You, you won't be able to stand. But remember, 
you are positionally righteous if you have accepted Christ. And what we need to do is to allow our practical righteousness to follow along. The second thing is that it will they'll give you a lack. The lack of practical righteousness will lead you to defeat in your witness. If you've ever tried to share your faith and you're saying, man, I'm not sure I have the confidence to share my faith. Practical righteousness, the more righteous you are, it'll give you confidence to share. Have, how many of you ever heard of evangelism explosion? Uh, it's, a, it's old, like 20, 30 years ago. When I was growing up, EE was a big thing. You could take classes at the church. Well, Dr. D. James Kennedy was the one that put all of that together and did an incredible job and very, very powerful material. But he, in his pursuit for evangelism and teaching evangelism, for years he studied why Christians don't witness, why they won't share their faith with other, with other non-believers. And he thought for sure, well, it's, it, the primary reason is fear or a lack of training or a lack of exposure to non-Christians. And we, you might think the same, but the number one reason why believers, Christians, wouldn't share their faith with other non-Christians was because of the life that they were living. See, they were saved, but their life didn't necessarily line up with the Word of God. They didn't think it was right to talk about believing in Christ if they weren't living it, which I would say is probably true. They could, but we can say, look, I'm not perfect. It's Jesus who is perfect. Amen? And it's because of Him and the forgiveness that He provides for us that we can be righteous. And we need to explain that. And so being righteous will help us with our witness. It'll help us personally. And then there's a third way. A lack of practical righteousness will lead to unanswered prayers. And this is where I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 59. A very, very interesting uh, set of scriptures. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Paul, most uh, scholars believe that Paul was reflecting on Isaiah 59 as he wrote some of the words in Ephesians. And if you look at verse uh, 15, uh, it says, the truth was nowhere to be found, uh, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. And then at the second part of verse 15, it says this. It says, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. There was no one righteous in all of Israel. So he saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in a zeal as in a cloak. And what's interesting is that as, as Paul is reflecting on that, at the beginning of Isaiah 59, listen to what it says. Talking about unanswered prayer here. It says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save nor his ear too dull to hear. We know that God is able to meet us right where we are. There's nothing that is too hard for God. We know that. God's word, he is all-sufficient, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. But what would keep God from moving on our behalf? Listen to verse 2. It says, but your iniquities, your sin, your unrighteousness, 
have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. This is interesting. That as a believer, as a, ch- a child of God, that your prayers could be limited by your lack of righteousness. Is it possible that your lifestyle has diminished your work for Christ? No righteousness or a lack of righteousness would equal unanswered prayers. Your thought life, the things in your heart, your emotions would limit your effectiveness as a believer. For God to answer prayer would go against his word. We need to understand that. This is hard to say as your pastor. But as I was praying and just asking the Lord for revelation knowledge in this particular passage, I believe that many, not all, but many problems, many obstacles, many oppositions are a result of a believer's sinfulness or a lack of holiness in their lives. We talked about it at the men's retreat a couple weeks ago as we're camping. The discipline of God. We discipline our kids because we love them, right? And the same is true when it comes to righteousness. If your child was out of control, you're going to limit the blessings in his or her life. And the same is true when it comes to our Heavenly Father. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, we're going down a path of legalism. And, uh, and, and, and I would say uh, we understand that. And, and there can be abuses on both sides. There can be abuse on the grace side saying, hey, anything goes. Or there can be abuse on the other side that's all about judgment. So I kind of made a, a list of some, some things that you know, may exist or be apparent in your life at times. And let's just list those. How about things like profanity, using, you know, cursing, or saying the name, the name of the Lord in vain? Or how about lust, or anger, or unforgiveness, or a promiscuous lifestyle, or things like movies, or music, or the type of books or magazines that you read? Now, when you line those things up, on one side, you'd say, well, God, he covers those things. That his grace abounds. And we'd all say, yes, amen, right? We understand that. But when it comes to our prayers and we understand that we are covered and God helps us as we face those things, but Ephesians 4 says not to let the enemy take even a foothold. Isaiah 59 says that God, he will turn his ear from us. So we wouldn't even, he wouldn't even hear our prayers because of our iniquities. And so we need to be careful in our lives. Yeah, we could go to one extreme or the other. We want to balance, though. But the fact is, if we're not repentant, or if there's no faith in our lives, or if there is sin, or there's greed or gossip, we understand as believers that there will be trouble, there will be problems that will arise in our lives. It's God's way. It's his discipline in our lives. But righteousness is a breastplate, a protection against uh, these types of things. God, when we are righteous, he hears us. 
Only righteousness can give you a reason to stand. The breastplate is a symbol. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, we, it says there to put on the breastplate of righteousness, to have it in place. That means it needs to be on. It's not just to be on the shelf. It's not that uh, we are just, you know, wear it on occasion or when we come to church on Sundays. No, it's a 24-hour a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year until your last breath type of equipment that we need to wear. Righteousness. We need to put it on. If we don't have it on, it's useless. The moment we take it off, Satan will look for a foothold in our lives. The fact is, is that Satan, he attacks. He is unrelenting. It's never ending. He hates us and he would love to take us down. Now, as I was studying this, uh, one of the images that kind of came to my mind uh, was that a right or a breastplate is kind of like a bulletproof vest. And I kind of had the idea I was going to do this. I called around and was asking um, some friends. I called uh, a bunch of people that I knew that had guns, and I should have called you, Clayton. I don't know. Do you have a bulletproof vest, too? Yeah, I figured you might. But um, anyway, my neighbor has this, and my idea was to wear this and to have someone take a shot at me this morning. And everyone I said, everyone I talked to, they're like, that's not a good idea, Pastor. And I went over to my neighbor, and he's like, yeah, I've got one. You can use it. And I put it on. It made me look all puffy, and I'm like, I'm not wearing that. <laughs> I'll just show it. But, um, but he said that there are people that have taken shots at close range where it'll actually, a bullet will penetrate and, uh, and actually break skin, and, and it'll, it'll hurt. And uh, he was, I was telling him my idea, and he's like, he's like, trust me, you don't want to take a shot in front of all those people, and uh, that would be bad. But the fact is, is that, a bulletproof vest is mandatory for cops in Spring Lake. I know that for sure, all right? For sheriff deputies, it's mandatory equipment. They have to wear it when they're on duty, when they're patrolling. A Roman soldier, it was mandatory for them to put on the uh, uh, breastplate to protect their torso, to protect their heart. And the fact is, is that we are in desperate need to be covered in this area. If you want to win, you need to protect yourself. And you protect yourself by putting on righteousness. You put on salvation. It's what Jesus does in our lives. That's the first thing. But then it's a ruthless, and it's a never-ending process of pursuing righteousness, pursuing holiness in your life. And God, he honors that. We are called to protect our hearts. That's the key. In Psalm chapter one, or, uh, 139, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, I want you to turn there with me. And then we're going to kind of reflect on some of these verses together. Listen to what it says. Psalm 139, verse 23. David here uh, just in a heartfelt psalm. We know David earlier said, hey, above all else, or, or not David, but uh, Solomon said, uh, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. But David here, he's saying this. He's saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The key for us 
to be successful as believers is to put on this breastplate of righteousness in regards to our practical righteousness. To ask God to cover us, to search us and say, God, is there anything in my life that is not pleasing to you? And I would just ask, just kind of straight up this morning, is there an absence of joy in your life or an absence of peace? Is it possible that depression or anxiety or anger or the struggle in your marriage or the struggle at work, could it be that there's a lack of practical righteousness in your life? Could it be that the thing you've been praying for, believing God for, you haven't seen the breakthrough because of practical, a lack of practical righteousness? It's possible. See, the enemy would love to lie to you. And he would say, you know what? When you pursue holiness, God, he's denying something even better. And that's the trick of the enemy, right from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. But the truth is, at least in my experience and what God's word says, that when I'm righteous, when I pursue holiness in my life vigorously, I'm a better parent. I'm a better boss. I'm a better employee. I'm a better husband when my heart is clean. See, a breastplate protects and righteousness protects us from problems in opposition as well. And I don't know about you, but this morning, more than anything, I want to know that I am right with God, that my heart is protected, that God is in control, and that I'm pursuing righteousness, practical righteousness with vigor. Because the fact is, I want my practical righteousness to model or to be an example of my positional righteousness. Does that make sense? Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, I love Paul and his letter to Philippians. He says, I want to know Christ and in the power of his resurrection. And as we pursue Christ, we will become more like him. The best way is not to just have a list of rules or to you know, lean on the side of legalism and say, nope, if we mess up on any of these things, there will be judgment. No because we're going we're gonna to fail. We're not going to be always righteous. But we need to fall in love with Jesus. I, I saw this this week as I was studying. It's not that we need to live better. It's that we need to love better. We need to love Jesus, because as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, your heart grows for the Lord. A byproduct of that is that you're going to walk in his ways. You're going to understand his heart. You're going to know the direction for your life. And that is exactly what God wants for you. He wants it for me. Not only today, but each and every day of our lives. Would you stand with me this morning? Brendan, will you mind? You got to go? You mind coming, Mary? This morning, as we close our service. I want us to reflect on where we are with the Lord. 
the first thing I want you to consider is, have you put on righteousness in the reality of salvation? Have you asked Jesus to come into your life and to save you from your unrighteousness? And if you haven't this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to ask that you would respond. And I want to pray with you and ask God to fill you with his righteousness, what only he can do. But my guess is, is that most of us are believers, and so we're going to come after that salvation call in just a moment. I want us to consider putting on righteousness in a practical sense, the process of sanctification. And maybe you're here this morning and you have been suffering needlessly. Personally, you've been defeated. Maybe your witness to, for Christ has just been almost non-existent. Or maybe there's unanswered prayer that you're believing God for. And what I want to encourage you is that the call this morning is to fall in love with Jesus. To love better. And that will help you to live better. And God will honor any act of holiness in your life. But with your head, out, head bowed, eyes closed this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you don't have confidence that if you were to die today that you would spend an eternity in heaven and you're interested in receiving that saving grace, that righteousness that is put on, you'll be clothed in righteousness. If that interests you this morning, would you just slip up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I want to pray with you. Yeah. One young man. Anyone else? You can put your hand down. Anyone else this morning saying, that's me. Pray for me. Just take another moment. Anyone else? All right. There was one that raised his hand. I, for the sake of the one, would you, would you repeat a prayer after me? It's not the, I call it a miracle prayer. It's not that the words are magical. But it's just the fact that if you say these words and mean them in your heart, the Bible says you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. It's that simple. And so for this one, and then if you join me, would you pray this? Say, dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me for all my sins. Come into my heart and make me clean. Make me righteous. I know I don't deserve it. But Lord, because of you, I can stand clean. You look at me, Lord, as righteousness. And Lord, help me to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Whether that was a rededication prayer for our first time. You know what God says? At the moment you confess your sins, he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. We are clean. You are positionally clean. You're, there's nothing that stands before you and God. You have full access to the throne. Isn't that incredible? I mean, we don't deserve that, not even for a moment. But it's God. It's his grace that comes in, intervenes, 
clothes us with righteousness, and that is incredible. And so we're thankful uh, that God is working in that way. But can I talk to you just for another moment about your life, believers? <laughs> if I was honest, and I am going to be this, this morning, there are areas in my life that I am vulnerable. There are things that can trip me up easier than others. And what may trip me up may not trip you up, but there are things in our lives, all of us, that we have to be so careful about. Isn't that true? Would you agree? And our pursuit for Jesus and all that he has for us to be clothed in righteousness, to put on a breastplate of righteousness is about a pursuit of holiness. Because when we are in right standing with God, practically and positionally, that's how we defeat the enemy. And so this morning, could I encourage you to put on the breastplate of righteousness, to take your stand against the enemy's schemes? See, I don't want to overemphasize the power of the enemy, but... It's true. He's raging war in the heavenlies. And he wants nothing more than to take you out. He wants nothing more than to speak into your life doubt or fear. He would love to isolate you. He would love to, to uh, destroy every aspect of your life. And the way you take a stand against that is to ask God to purify you to fall in love with Jesus and let him cover your sins. Let him, as you grow in your love for him, that you will be able to take a stand against anything he throws your way. Do you believe that? Would you close your eyes, bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray. Lord, this morning, we need your covering. Lord, we understand that the pursuit of holiness or sanctification is a lifelong pursuit. But Lord, I pray that today and this week and this month, Lord, that we as believers would put on your righteousness and that it would result practically in our lives in victory. And Lord, I just ask for those who are struggling in areas of weakness, where there's strongholds, where there's doubt, where there's fear, there may be unanswered prayer, there may be depression or anxiety or anger. Lord, I pray that our pursuit for you to love you would override all of that. Lord, that you would meet us right where we are. And Lord, that you would make us better parents that you'd make us better employees. You'd make us better in our neighborhoods. That we would take a stand and that our witness would be strong for you. And so, Lord, as I often pray almost every week, Lord, I pray that your protection would go before us, behind us, and all around us. Lord, it's really your righteousness that protects us. Lord, do just that, and we'll give you the praise and all the glory. 
in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. 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 If you need prayer this morning for anything, if you'd want to spend a few minutes at the altar, we'd encourage that. We'd anoint you with oil. But otherwise, go in the grace of God and know that you are covered. You are protected in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless.